This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. second sermon as the pastor of this church last year on this day. Last Sunday was a one-year mark for us as a family. You adopted us in, and we're so grateful, and we've come to love you so, so very much, and we appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your family. But I knew that I was coming last year, and I knew that my very second sermon in this pulpit as the pastor was going to be Mother's Day. And Mother's Day for me was intimidating almost because it's like some hype and, uh, you know, everybody's here and the mamas are here and they're wanting a word for them. And I did my very best to deliver a message last year, but you probably don't remember, and that's okay, uh, about being virtuous. And we talked about the virtuous woman, but I called every person in the house to be virtuous and what it meant to be virtuous. And today, I'll be honest, I did not put forth any effort whatsoever for the Lord to give me a message geared for Mother's Day. I'm sorry if that disappoints you, but I need to tell you the love of Jesus today. And so the Lord put on my heart, and we can relate it back, and I believe wholeheartedly that a mother should have exactly what I'm going to tell you about today, and I know that mine very much so did. She does, but I remember my life when I lived in her house, she exemplified exactly what I want to talk to you about. So we can tie it all the way back, but this sermon and this idea is so much bigger and so much deeper than Mother's Day. This is something that God laid on my heart several weeks back, and it actually was almost on accident. I'll be very honest with you. We came in, we were having a staff meeting on a Monday evening, and I, I needed to present something to our team, and I needed to encourage them and lift them up and build them up. So I went to my Bible app, and I went and started thumbing through some reading plans that I was, in, I was reading and involved in on leadership. And this reading plan came up that I had started, and it's the, the most excellent way to lead. If you want to find where I'm coming from, you can look at the Bible app, and you can find the excellent way to lead. And this passage of Scripture jumped out at me in a way that it's never jumped out at me before. And then last, uh, last Wednesday evening in our Connect group, if you've not been in a Connect group, shame on you. It's been awesome. Um, but you need to get in one next fall. We're about to wrap them up. Uh, we've got just a couple weeks left in Connect groups, and then we're going to take a break and start back um, in uh, September, I believe, with Connect groups. So jump in when we come back around. Um, but our Connect group has been on the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've been studying Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And just a couple weeks prior to this past week, the Lord had put this uh, in my heart whenever I read this devotion. And I presented it to the team, and we sat around and we talked about it for a little while. And I just want to share it with you today. And I want to read a passage of Scripture, actually out of Matthew chapter 22. Beginning with verse 37. If you've been in the church very long and you've 
been following Jesus very long, you know this passage of Scripture. But we read it on a surface level, and we know it, and we can quote it, and we can say, hey, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's easy. But I want to read it to you, and I want us to dig down just a little bit deeper. Because Jesus has been questioned. He's been asked, hey, what's the most important commandment that you, that that's been given? They're, they're doing their very best to trip him up. They're doing their very best to make him trip over his own feet, trip over the law, to, to counter everything that God had put in place before leading up to his time. They're doing their best to say, hey, he's not who he says he is. And so this is another attempt at them to do that. And he says, the, the guy comes and he says, hey, what, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus said in verse 37, he replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But Jesus isn't going to trip over his own speed. And he says, but the the second commandment is equally as great. So even though that's top, you can put this one right up there with it. And he says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you want to really dig down deep and you want to study the Ten Commandments, or I prefer to call them the covenant, the Ten Covenants that God made with the people of Israel. All of that goes back to those, those ten commands or those ten laws for the people to live by were all about love. God didn't want any other God before himself because he knew that if he was the top of our priority list and we loved him more than anything else in life, our life would just work better. He didn't want us committing adultery or lusting over somebody because he knew that if I could have this pure, undefiled love relationship with the one he created me to love, then my life would just work better. So sure, it is a rule, it's a list of commandments, and it's this covenant that he made with the people, but you have to understand the context that it's a group of people that had no law whatsoever. They lived under Egyptian slavery. They've lived under the Egyptian rule for so long. He's just trying to say, hey, here's a road map. Here's a help guide. If you do this, your life will be much, much better. Now, sure, there were repercussions. There were, there were some punishments for breaking the law, but the heart of the law was missed then. And so all these people are doing their best to trip Jesus up over the law, and Jesus knows the heart. And so we know if we could do anything in life whatsoever, as Christian people, as disciples of his, is to love. It's to love him, and it's to love his people. I want to read a passage, and it's going to take me a minute, but I need you just to stay with me in the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David has slayed Goliath. Just a couple chapters before, David was actually anointed to be the next king. David is just a young boy. He's nobody. Saul, who is the king, is the man, right? He's the one. And God has appointed and chosen the next one to to take his place. And David goes out and he fights Goliath. And maybe you know the story. I hope so. That's not the point today. The deal is he goes and kills this dude that nobody else even wants to stand up to, and here's little old David just delivering some food. 
He's just taking some food to his brothers, and he's like, why in the world are you letting this dude bash God? And why are you being bullied around by this one guy? And so he goes out in the name of the Lord, and he defeats him. You know that, that story. But the interesting part of this is verse uh, chapter 18 to me. And I want to read this to you. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Something about them Jonathans. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt, bow and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. Isn't that what you would want your protege to do? Isn't that what you would want the one that's trying to come up up under you? I'm doing my very best as a leader, and it's not easy as a young leader that doesn't know a whole lot. But I'm trying anybody that's under me, I want them to be better than me. In any way, shape, or form that I can pour into them and I can, can give them some instruction not to necessarily make me any better, I want to make them better. Wouldn't you have wanted David to do exactly what you said? Even if it was for selfishness. If I ask you to do something, I really want you to do it. But even if it was for selfishness, you still would have been happy. But I would want nothing more than somebody I'm trying my best to bring up beside me and walk along this journey. And I'm doing my best to pour wisdom in. I want nothing more than them to do successfully what it is that's put before them. Whatever he asked him to do, he did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and declared for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That was the day it all come crumbling down. Because it made Saul very angry. What's this? He said the credit. They, they credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Well, he was anointed to be king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. Saul, or David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. you got to see some contrast of the personality differences between Saul and David. David walks out on the battlefield and is like, hey, I got God on my side. If I die, I die, but I'm willing to stand before this giant. I'm willing to do my very best to slay him for the purpose of all these people. I'm just a boy taking care of sheep. And here they come back, and Saul should be so proud. You did it, man. Look at what you accomplished. Yet when the people start praising David, oh, he slayed them tens of thousands. Saul gets mad and gets jealous. David could have probably, I personally believe out of David's personality, his spirit, he's sitting around playing a harp. I think he probably could have cared less that they're praising him. I believe he was humble enough. He didn't need anybody to praise him for slaying tens of thousands of people. But Saul so ticked off because he's the one not getting the credit 
that he puts this jealous eye on David. And it creates this awkward, terrible thing between the two of them from, from then on. And so sitting around the house, David's sitting around playing Amazing Grace on his harp. Not really, but he was playing his harp. And Saul's walking around with a spear in his hand. It doesn't make sense. But there's an obvious difference, and the question just in that to me is, which one are we walking around with? Are we walking around with the spirit of worship in our heart? Are we walking around singing and worshiping the Lord? Or are we walking around with a spear waiting on somebody to cross us wrong so we can stab them and take them out? David was playing his harp as he did each day. Because David was a man after God's own heart. But Saul had a spear in his hand and suddenly hurled it at David. Intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul reorganized, or when he recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading his troops. And it goes on and on, and this story is interesting. He wants to marry a daughter, and Saul kind of gives him a shafted deal, and he don't marry the daughter, and it's just this really big mess. The question that I presented to the team that night was what would have happened if Saul had have realized the, uh, the potential and the anointing, the gifting and the talent that was on David. And instead of saying, I'm keeping you at the tip of my spear because you're a threat to me, what if he said, hey, come here and let me show you how to throw the spear? Everybody loved him. David was the, was the man with the people. He was appointed a commander, and the, the Bible says that all the people loved it, all the commanders loved it. That's half the game is getting people to like you. You don't believe me? Ask your pastor. If you like me, there's a little bit of mercy for some flaws. What would have happened? As a young boy, if the king had have taken under his wing the one who would be the next king and walked him through day by day, this is what I deal with. This is what we're working with. This is how it's going to happen. This is, this is the plan, the way that it's set up. This is the people we're trying to fight against. This is the good guy. This is the bad guy. He is no good. He's weak. He's strong. This is what you need to know. What if he'd have took him by his side instead of pushing him away? How much stronger would the nation of Israel have been when David took reign? We've seen churches, strong churches in our state, within our denomination, and I'll talk about them because I know them. 
that pastors retire have had a phenomenal ministry, planted the church, grew the church, the church at one time booming. Hundreds of people would gather to worship. And it come time for that pastor's ministry career to end, pastoral ministry, so he retires, walks out the door, no shame whatsoever to the pastor. He's, he's fulfilling what he believes God has for his life. It's a broken system. And so the next pastor walks in the door with all kind of expectations placed on him from the pastor that just walked out the door. He will never, ever, ever, ever be the pastor that was thriving in that ministry. You've had some phenomenal pastors at this church. I will never, ever, ever be that guy. I'm thankful enough that the one that did walk out the door and I walked right in the very next Sunday had poured into my life for a long time before I ever walked in your door. You might not have known me, but he, pour, he, he started pouring into me when I was just a dumb youth pastor that knew nothing. I was grateful enough to have been given a, a place, a position for ministry, cleaning toilets just so I could preach on Wednesday night. And he said, let's go to lunch. I thought, who in the world am I to go to lunch with this guy? He said, son, keep going. You got to go through the steps. You need to go get your ordination. One day you'll be sitting on the youth board. You'll be serving. I said, I think you're crazy, Brother Gore. He said, don't quit. But we have so many situations that are like Saul. And what would be so much easier to say, hey, if God's appointed you to be here and you're the next person to step in the leadership role, then let me bring you in and let me help you. I think, personally, it's obvious that every position of leadership has a personality, right? From the president of this country to the pastor of this church. When you come under new leadership, the personality of everybody under shifts just a little bit, right? So when Saul is the man over his nation, he's the man over these armies, he has set a personality, he's got a culture. And when he walks out the door, that culture has gone nowhere. It's still there. So here comes a new leader. Here comes David in a place that steps into a culture, in, into a bowl of, of water that he's supposed to swim in that is completely not his. Terrible. He is lost. The people hate it. They love David, and I'm just talking... Follow me. It's a what would have happened if Saul had taken David and said, let me just spend some time with me. If he could have taken David close to his side, and I'll be honest with you, if I spend enough time with you, I start acting like you. That's scary. You do the same, though. You start hanging out with me long enough, you're going to act like me, which is even scarier. But we're that way, right? Because if I pull you alongside me and I'm in a position of leadership, you're eventually going to want to do your best. I hope that I would be an example that you'd want to do your best to strive to be like, not like me, but to have the integrity, to have the trait, to have the spirit working in you as I do me. 
I surround myself with pastors that are so much further along in ministry than I am that their ministries are in a totally different place than mine are, and I see myself becoming like them. Not that I'll ever be those guys, but I'm striving for that excellence. I'm striving for that, that anointing, that gifting that they have. I'm striving for that creativity that they possess. What if Saul had to let David in? Let me show you how really to command this army. Yeah, you went and slayed a giant. You did good. All these people love you some, but you have no idea about the strategy of war. Let me teach you. Let me teach you how to do this. But he didn't. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, fixing to think I'm weird. How do we go from there to here? See, we quote this, the sappy love stories in our weddings. And our love should be patient toward our spouse. I should love her with all my heart. I shouldn't be rude. It's not irritable, except early in the morning. Me, not you, baby. But we really miss the context of where this passage of Scripture lies. This is what the Lord kind of has dealt with me on the last couple of weeks. You see, he's just explained in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's just explained that the human body has many parts and many parts make up one body. Right? He's preaching to the church family. Right? He ain't talking to some married couple, somebody in premarital counseling like we want to read this pastor's grace. He's talking to the church. And he said, just like the human body's got many parts, you have many parts. And the many parts come together to make one body. And see, the real fact of the matter is my fingers are nothing like my toes. My fingers cannot perform the same duties that my toes can. The skill set is completely different from my tongue to my ears, right? But without one, I would be lost. My skill set is very limited. Maybe it's wide, but my true gifting is not very. They say, what, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none? I'm a master of very few. And chances are, this guy right here, I'm not telling you chances, I promise. His skill set and his heart is totally different than mine. He will deliver truth to you that I would never have the guts to tell you. Anybody that's ever dealt with him much knows. He's going to tell you exactly how it is. If you're wrong, you better straighten up. Because he's not scared to tell you, you're wrong right here. His skill set, his gifting is totally different than mine. We had a group of guys here Friday night pulling cable and installing some equipment and this, that, and other. And there's a really fancy, fancy rainbow Christmas-like looking soundboard in the back that I promise 98% of the people sitting in this room have no clue how to touch it, but that guy does. 
I went in the attic and pulled cable because I can get up there and muscle some cable through the hot attic. The whole time I was singing, I'll fly away, oh, glory. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. No lie. They got me on speakerphone. The phone was way down here on the end. I'm way down on that end, and I know they heard me hollering and everything else. Our skill sets are different. I'll be very transparent with you so that you cannot judge me ever again. If I take a spiritual gifts test, mercy is at the very bottom of my list. Do you understand that? I'm very factual. I'm very administrative. I'm very leadership-minded. Pastoring is not even in the top five. I'm just being honest with you. It's no excuse for me to not show mercy. It's no excuse for me not to better myself, to learn, and to be a better pastor. I can hang with most leadership. But it's not a strength of mine to show mercy. But there's people in this room that I promise if I give them the exact same test, mercy would be at the top. There's people in this room, although you're not the pastor of this church, pastoring would be in your top five. Because you have a gift of spiritual care for people. You have a compassion, a love. I love you. Please don't hear that and think I don't. I love you with my whole heart. I weep over you. I lose sleep over you. But it's not a natural thing for me. Just like for many of you, administration is not a natural thing for you. I love a spreadsheet. And you, might, you, how in the world does anybody love a spreadsheet? I love a spreadsheet. My, sp- my spiritual results, I put them in a spreadsheet. I sent it to Micah. I said, hey, you need to go take this test and check it out. She said, it didn't give me the same kind of sheet it gave you. I said, I made that sheet, girl. It was even the top five had a red line under them, and it dropped down, and the bottom three had a, another line under them, and I knew where I fell. The point is, we're all extremely different. And if I give you a personality test, yours would look totally different than mine. Which means we're going to butt heads. And I'm talking about us as family because I don't want to talk about the people outside yet. I'm just being real. As one body of Christ, one family, we're going to butt heads. In my house, we butt heads. We're totally different people. And if you can tell me that you and your spouse don't butt heads, I might tell you you need to repent. Because chances are you married somebody that is not like you. Because we need people that are not like us. I don't need 50 leaders in this church. I need people that are willing to serve, but I don't need 50 people that leadership is their top quality. Lord, have mercy on us if we get 50 people that their leadership is their top quality. 
Mitchell might just walk out the door and let them 50 have it. Of course, with the release of the Father. We're different, family. We all need each other. I'm going to quit whining about it eventually, but I hurt my finger several weeks back. I'm going somewhere. Just hang on a minute. There's a fingernail under a fingernail because it was bad enough that it needs to fall off, but I don't know what to do about it. If you know how I fix this, you let me know after church at the door. Friday night, I had tears come up in my eyes because something caught that fingernail and peeled it back. So that the part that does come back comes back, but it stops. There's a line right there where it's still attached on half the fingernail. Why did tears come to my eyes when I hurt my finger? It's attached. It's connected. Family, when you hurt, I should hurt. When you succeed, we all succeed. We celebrate together. We mourn together. Sure, I might not lie the way you do something. I might tell you, I might not, but it's going to be in love. And if your way is better than mine, it's going to be the way it goes. I don't have to have my way. Because I'm a finger, I'm not a toe. I don't know how the toe is supposed to operate. It's simple, but I need you to follow me. My ears don't know how to see. There are limitations that are on this guy that you have to feel. You have limitations that I have to feel. The problem is we don't operate in love. Because this love is the greatest. This chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible, is not really for an intimate marriage relationship. It's for the church. You're a body. You're different. You're messed up. You all got problems. We all got issues. We all got junk. We got circumstances. We got junk that we've carried all through life. The only way we operate as one body is through love. Saul had no clue how to love David. You don't believe me? Love is patient and kind. Walking around with a spear in your hand, chunking it at somebody is not kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. He was jealous the moment they started praising him. I love if they would pay Rebecca a compliment for doing worship. That makes me smile because that means she's been lifted up. She's done an awesome job. I ain't jealous over her getting a compliment for doing what she's created to do. It doesn't demand our own way. Lord, have mercy. Family, we're blessed. I ain't going to stand on a soapbox and tell you that you're selfish people demanding your own way. You are absolutely the opposite. In my one year and one week time in, in this house, there are things that have taken place that you've trusted me and you've rolled with me. I'm not naive enough to think you like it all, but I know you've rolled with me. Because I know you love me, you love the, ma- the, the master, you love the ministry. But see, our problem is, a lot of times as a finger, I want to do the job of the toe. Or as a finger that feels and picks up things, I think I deserve to be able to see what the eye sees. 
You hear me? Some things, my, my hands do not get privileged to the same things that my eyes get privileged to. It's not irritable. We had an interesting conversation. This connect group has been phenomenal. This study's been great. Paul's talking to the church of Corinth about the time they gather together and when they receive communion. I might have told you a little bit of, of this, but he said, you're so messed up that you're coming in here starving. And you're eating the elements and you're drinking the wine so fast that some of you are full and some of you are drunk. And there's people that don't even get none. He said, you got your own house to go eat. You come to the house to worship, and the communion's supposed to be sacred. And the Lord put on my heart. If we ain't careful, we come up in this place. And we had come in with, I need, 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 need. I want, 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 want. I walk in irritable and ticked off at the world. Lord, what you going to do about it? And if I'm not careful, I've soaked up all the elements. And my worship had nothing to do with anybody else. We come to this house to celebrate. We come to this house to grow. I hope and pray that I feed you the word that the Lord gives me. I hope you receive it. But the Bible says, don't forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But gather together as the day draws near to lift each other up to fellowship. We're going to have a family get together in just a little while just to get together and be together because it's what families do. We just get together and have a family get together because that's what families do. Don't be so consumed in yourself when you walk in the doors that you take somebody else's worship. He said it keeps no record of wrongs doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Why could Saul not be happy that David was as gifted as he was? Why did he have to be spiteful? Why, why did it have to be? Why couldn't he just rejoice in the truth? I have no clue if it's normal or not. But I'm developing a style of leadership that is extremely confrontational. Because if there's conflict, we're confronting it. You don't believe me? There's 10 or 15 people in this room that could tell you. The devil will not mess up the unity that's in this house because of conflict. We ain't sweeping nothing under the rug. We ain't going to bed with somebody ticked off because what they think something meant when somebody said something. If you don't want to handle it, don't let me find out. There's too many people to win to the kingdom. There's too much work to be done. There's too much progress to be made for this house. 
and I'm not going to rejoice over injustice, and I'm not going to be excited because somebody got something over on somebody else, or somebody said something that meant something that, that they didn't need to say that. I'm going to rejoice when the truth wins out, when we sit down and have a conversation, and we get up and we say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I hug you, and I love on you. We're going forward in the ministry because that's love. We're different. We're going to be different. We're going to butt heads. The first step to embracing and confrontation and conflict management is knowing we're going to have conflict. We're people. It never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. I'm not talking about the love toward your spouse. Mothers, the love you have to your kid. When was the last time we loved each other like that? Paul's talking to the body. That means they should be a body of Christ. They should be Christians. We're so messed up, we can't get that right in the church. We sure enough can't get it right outside. I'm just being honest. I'm just trying to challenge you today. We say we love God. We love people. We care about people. But when it takes 25 minutes at the McDonald's drive-thru to get my food, is my love patient? I'm just being real. It ain't my fault that it took them 25 minutes. There's some dysfunction in some leadership somewhere. It always goes back to the leadership. You watch. But I get really, really aggravated because somebody's giving me instruction and I've gone through this long, drawn-out process and come to find out they didn't have a clue what they're talking about. My love become irritable. When the person that I work with gets a raise that's bigger than mine or gets a promotion that I should have got, when a contractor outbids me and gets a job that I needed, What's my love look like? We're human. I would never sit here and tell you that our love don't do a lot of things it shouldn't do. But if we're not striving for perfection, we're missing the mark. If we're not doing our best to live with the spirit of excellence in every area of our life, we're missing the mark. Do I hit it? Lord, no. But I sure better be striving for it. Would you stand with me? Paul said later in the last verse of that chapter, 
verse 13, he said, three things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Because he explains to the church, if you speak in tongues and you know the mysteries of heaven, you know exactly what God's thinking and you got all this, you can perform miracles, you, you can see healings take place, but your love don't look like what I just described. You have nothing, my friend. And I'm not Paul, and I'm not standing here talking to a church full of dysfunction. I'm just talking to some people that I know are messed up like I am. We're not perfect. By messed up, I don't mean messed up, but you've not reached the mark yet. We haven't. Till the day the Lord calls us home, we won't reach that mark. So what does our love look like? I've seen my mama love me like that. And when somebody hurt me, her love looked nothing like that to the other person. When we walk out, what does our love look like? Because see, what we fail to remember when we have opportunities to come to the house and worship together and lift up the name of Jesus if we're not careful, we fail to remember the fact God loved us like that. It was only love that moved him to send his son to save you and me. It was only love that gave him the grace and, and the goodness that he is to give me forgiveness. The messed up terrible person that I've been in my life would be able to stand before you and deliver a perfect gospel today only because of love. I'm nobody. And if I ever think that I am somebody that can have love that looks anything different than that, I am absolutely wrong. Jesus was my example. God the Father giving me the grace and love and mercy was my example. Who in the world am I to think I can live any other way? We want people to know Jesus. We want to see this church grow, but the church of, of Jesus Christ to grow. We want to see people come to the kingdom. We want to see the world change. We want to see abortion stop. We want to see the killings in, in the school stop. But yeah, our love don't look like that love. I'm not screaming because I'm mad at you. I'm passionate about the love of God. What does it take for God to instill that love in us? That we see every person. Jesus said the number one commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means that when God don't give me exactly what I want, when I want it, my love still has to be patient toward God. When I'm ticked off at the world and don't understand why I'm dealing with the junk I'm dealing with and the devil's on my back or maybe my flesh is just rising up, whatever it is, don't give him too much credit. When I become irritable toward God, I better back up. The way we change the world is with that kind of love. 
Father, I love you, Lord. God, I strive to love you with a love that is exactly as described in your word. God, a love that's full of hope and faith in who you are and what you say and the promises you delivered in my life. Father, love this patient to wait out seasons and to wait out heartaches and a love that strives not to be irritable when you don't allow things to go exactly the way I think they should go. Father, I love you with that kind of love. And for some reason or another, you've laid on my heart today to share the simple gospel of love. Lord, none of us in this room have arrived at our destination, our destiny, our walk with you, the place that we will call home one day. We're not there, which means our love is still not perfect. God, but I pray that you begin to work in us today, perfecting that love. That when it does take 25 minutes to get my food to the McDonald's drive-thru, God, I would still look at that girl or that guy and I'd tell them how awesome they are. Because even though it may have been different than what I wanted, Lord, you still put that person in my path at that moment to show them your love. God, I pray for grace over this church. That as you continue to bring families in, as you continue to bring people to this house, as we continue to expand, we're bringing that many more personalities, that many more different gifting to this place, Lord. We're going to butt heads. We're going to have issues. We're going to have conflict, God. But I pray that grace would reign over us, Lord, and the wisdom from the Holy Spirit would continue to guide us, God, that as we embrace those things, as we see conflict, God, you would give us the confrontation to handle it. Lord, it would be nipped in the bud just as your word says that we go to the brother. Give us grace for our faults. Lord, raise up every area of the body to be exactly what it is you created it to be, whether it be a finger or whether it be a toe, whether it be a visionary, somebody that sees, whether it be somebody that hears from you, Lord, whatever it is. Give us the grace to allow people to walk in their gifting and in their calling. Father, grant me as the leader of this house with the grace and the peace to allow people to walk in their giftings. Lord, give us eyes of grace to see through the flaws, to see through the differences. Lord, many times what we consider to be a flaw or a personality trait that's no good, Father, in somebody else, that's just a difference that you've put inside of them to do things that are totally different than us. God, I pray that you help us to find somebody to take under our shoulder. Lord, somebody that we can come alongside and though they may exceed us, Father, we can celebrate them. We can pour into them. God, give us a passion, a hunger to love like you love. Within this house, outside of these walls, in our relationship with you. Father, because you first loved us with this love. 
Father, I pray that you bless your people today. God, that this would not be a message that they walk out the door and it stays here when they leave. Father, I pray that there's been some thoughts provoked. There's been some stirring in the heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you churn what it is that's been planted all week long. That when we wake up in the morning, rather than being irritable and ill and grouchy, Father, we find that love. If it means keeping our mouth shut, we find the love to love like you do. Lord, give us a heart of worship that we'd walk around with a harp or with our voice worshiping you. Lord, don't let us walk around with a spear or a dagger looking to stab somebody in the back. God, that's not love. We give it to you. We give our heart to you, Father, that you would mold it and shape it. I praise your name, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. And I thank you for this wonderful time we've had together today. This time of celebration, this time of worshiping you, this time of challenge on our hearts. God, I pray you keep your people. You bring them back in Jesus' name. Amen.